I think the world needs motivated people. And I, I have motivation. I love what I do. And I believe we can change the world. You know, when I studied at Earth University, every day in the morning, they said to me, you're an agent of change. You're going to change the world. And after four years, it was like, yeah, yeah, stop saying that. Forget about it. You know, like everyone can do it. Then you go out to the world and you realize that really everyone can do it. Why not to do it? Let's do it. You're listening to the Sharing Insights Podcast, a show where we explore stories, strategies, and insights from ecologically and socially beneficial projects throughout Costa Rica. These stories provide landowners everywhere access to unique ideas to inspire better business models for greater success and impact. My name is Jason, and I'm a co-founder of one of these unique places. I've been visiting with other owners of impact centers to discuss the successes, challenges, and insights that they've earned along the way. Join me on the adventure. A more sustainable world awaits. In this interview, I have the pleasure of speaking with Esteban Acosta, founder of Sembrando Flores, which is a collaborative space for advisors in the field of regenerative agriculture to work together. He's also the owner of Biogas, Costa Rica's leading manufacturer and installer of biodigesters for home scale as well as commercial uses. Our conversation spans from practical tactics like growing green manure as a soil regenerator to the spiritual side of agriculture inherent in the application of biodynamic food production and land management. Esteban drops far more than insights here. He shares actionable techniques for improving food production in simple, systematic ways. You know, I was originally going to put this episode behind a paywall for subscribers to our Kofi platform. Esteban isn't the owner of an impact center per se, but he has a wealth of knowledge that any landowner can benefit from. I was going to save interviews like this by industry experts for members only. In the end, however, I've changed my mind. What Esteban shares here is gold, and landowners everywhere need to hear it. That being said, if you find value from this interview and would like to support my continued efforts to provide this kind of content for your listening edutainment, please go to kofi.com forward slash sharing insights and drop a few coins in the bucket. There's a link in the show notes. That being said, it's time to visit Esteban and give you some insights into what has transformed this young man into the leader that he's becoming today. Esteban is born in Costa Rica. He attended Earth University to earn a degree in agricultural engineering. He has worked in farms from Panama to Mexico. He's a trained biodynamic advisor and has been a speaker at biodynamics conferences throughout Latin America, as well as in Switzerland. He currently has, with Sembrando Flores, he is implementing biogas technology in the zone. We're going to talk about some of the things that Esteban has been doing with helping other farms convert to biodynamics and organic certification. And he also is helping farms grow food uh, for large-scale production, coffee farms, etc. We're going to get into all of that but first, I just want to welcome you, Esteban, to the show. Thank you for making space in your life for us to visit. And I don't know, let's jump right in. You, as a Costa Rican, have really chosen to 
take on some big projects, some big movements, and try to change more than what's going on in your family's life, but create some regional impact. Tell me a little bit about what's inspired you to take on such big movements. Well, Jason, it's it's actually such an, an honor to have you here at my house after so much, uh, I don't know, six, seven years. We haven't been together, maybe it's five years, I don't know. But, um, you know, I have a question with me that combines me every day, goes with me together. It's, uh, you know, Costa Rica has no army, 70 years already, 71 or something like this. It's a green country, happy country, and all that. And the biggest question is, what do I have to give to the world being born in this place? And how many people in the world has the possibility to don't have to think about war and these hazards of the actual world today? That is, is I mean, you have problems in Costa Rica, but it's quite tranquil, you know, like you can really take it easy kind of thing. And um, I work in Honduras and El Salvador and in Mexico, and I... Uh, I've worked with Gemini projects and all of the times there's these situations of uh, social pressure created by uh, this economic system. And um, not that we don't have it in Costa Rica, but I've always questioned myself, what is that I have that I can give something to the world? And I grew up with my grandfather's uh, tales about barefoot walking 12 years old to go look for work. And he always dreamed that uh, his sons and grandsons and daughters will have the chance to be better people. So here I am, third generation of uh, a place that gives you the chance to grow as a person. So what can I do more than try to give back? It's kind of a task. Beautiful. So you've taken that inspiration from your grandfather and you've brought it into your life in big ways, first as a student at Earth University. And when you graduated from Earth University is pretty much about the time that I met you. You were yeah. working on a farm in Pérez And as a fresh graduate from Earth, what were you doing at that farm? What was your job there? Well, that's a pretty good history. You know, like I was walking Pérez and I found a... a an advertisement looking for a biodynamic farmer. I mean, how come in the world you find in, in, in the street in one of the light, light uh, posts, there's a paper saying, I want to a biodynamic farmer to run my farm. And I took one of the little, you know, like papers with a number, you know, old times you used yeah. to do that. And then I called the guy, Tom Weeder, actually, nice guy who gave me the chance to run his farm for a few years and he actually financed me for a few years to go out and, and spread biodynamics in Costa Rica. But uh, since the very beginning, I was very clear. I studied agriculture because I knew it was the tool to do something good to the world. So I studied at Earth to learn organic farming. I mean, I can't say I didn't learn organic farming at Earth, but it's not it wasn't really meant to grow organic farmers on it, but it gave me the chance to do so. And I found people there that gave me the tools that was my first steps. But while I was studying the earth, I had the chance to study and 
try and experiment organic and biodynamic farming. I did my internship. Earth gives you the Earth University sends you to as a third year student abroad to do a three month internship on a professional farm, and I went to Argentina to a biodynamic farm, and uh, it happens to be a place where the Argentinian Biodynamic Association used to teach the formal biodynamic training. So I took that training, and I met my biodynamic master, who is. He already went to the, he already crossed the threshold. So now I have the big task of being the pupil of a very good biodynamic master of Latin America. So I got the task there. Actually, I remember that very clearly. He said to me, put attention because this is going to be your task. We're talking about 15 years ago. And uh, so when I graduated, I was really waiting to get uh, someone to give me the chance to do biodynamics in Costa Rica. And I did the vision quest, you know, this uh, yeah. Native American tradition to go find your destiny in the mountain. And I did it. And when I came down from it, I was at my father's house and I got a cell phone call because I weeks before I sent a message to this guy, I can do it. And he called me, come see me. And I went there and I started working there and I started doing biodynamics in this farm. And it was during that period, several years, maybe four years that I was working there, that I was able to put into practice a lot of thoughts I had about how to do biodynamics in Costa Rica. And uh, there was already some biodynamic practitioners. The pioneers of biodynamics in Costa Rica were already working, but there was no Costa Ricans really doing it. We are almost 15 years after that. And today we are building the Biodynamic Costa Rican Association. And uh, most of it comes from that time. Great. Yeah. And so you you arrived at Tom's farm as a fresh student. You had just done an internship. And when you went to Argentina to be at this farm, did you know about biodynamic, that you wanted to be a biodynamic practitioner? Or did it just kind of come into your field and you said yes? I don't know. I was looking for something. And um it's very interesting because, you know, I was milking cows and making cheese and growing um, wheat and sunflowers and making oils from it and not really doing things that you do in the tropical farms. So it, it was not the practice itself what I was learning how to do. I was getting a deep feet into my soul of the way we, has, we have to work. And I remember the last day on the farm, we had this dinner, you know, all biodynamic dinner for me as a goodbye dinner. And they said, forget about everything we did. Remember why we do what we do. That stays on me until now. It's like, it's the why. So I came down, I had a lot of theory on my mind on biodynamics and agronomy, and I started putting it to practice. And actually, at that time, we really didn't know how to do biodynamic preparations in the tropics. I mean, I'm not saying I was the first one doing it in the tropics. There was a lot of people working already. But most of the things I know about how to make preparations comes from my own practice. And they gave me the courage to go do it. And... Um, Several farmers around Perez Celedon that I actually still work with gave me the chance to do practices on their farms. And actually today we are, today I mean in these days, we are developing the first professional commercial biodynamic farm in that region, in Costa Rica. 
from all my Costa Ricans. Wow. With pineapple, most controversial crop in this country. Wow, that's <laughs> that's impressive. It's quite funny. So, you know, there's guaranteed to be some listeners that have heard of biodynamics before, but why don't you give us a quick kind of description of what's different about biodynamics from, say, organic agriculture? Yeah, biodynamics is inspired by the teachings of Rudolf Steiner, which is an Austrian uh, philosopher of the early 19th century and uh, 20th century, sorry, and uh, in the 90s. And um, 1924, he teach this agricultural course. It's, it was called the Spiritual Foundations for the Renewal of Agriculture. And uh, he brings in this new perspective of life, how life is organized by living forces that we have to put together in order and also gives this task to human beings to take a role in nature to organize the etheric forces that make life's work. So it's not just like uh, let nature do it, but it's actually take the task as a human being to be together with nature, building something that will take us into the future, being together with earth to make her become a star. Biodynamics in the practice is a high level system of, of organic farming. Modern organic agriculture comes from the foundations of this curse, most of it. You know, you go back into the early 1900s and you find Rodale and you find uh, Howard and you find uh, Masanobu Fukuoka and you find even Bill Mollison later on the century creating very creative models of organic systems. But really, the first time somebody comes to say, we need to do things in a different way, was Rolf Steiner, not even a farmer. But he comes from these spiritual insights of how to renew agricultural from a new perspective, saying that we have to put attention into the living realm. So biodynamics is an organic system, high-level organic system that put attention to run the farm with a living realm. So we do promote practices and actions that take us into creating a living organism. So we create a farm as a living organism, integrated farm with animals, wetlands, forests, gardens and orchards and so on. And we integrate them in a way that they interact to themselves to create an self-sufficient, self-sustaining, integrated farm. And we understand that the farm as a mediator between the earthen forces and the cosmic forces. And uh, our mission is to grow food for the benefit of mankind so we can grow our consciousness in a different level. That's maybe a simple explanation of biodynamics. We use astronomic calendars, we use homeopathic remedies for the land, and we're trying to enhance and regenerate the living soil. That's the biggest goal. Okay, so it's taking into consideration all of the, I guess, things that one would implement or practice or think about with organic agriculture. And it sounds like the principles of permaculture are also interwoven in many of the considerations. But what makes biodynamics specifically different is its consideration for 
celestial movements, as well as what you were describing homeopathic remedies that are implemented on the land as an amendment. So you're making amendments for the soil and for the land that are not just mineral amendments, but you make, describe a little bit about the amendments in biodynamics. Yeah. I mean, we call them the biodynamic preparations and they're a specific, we put together the animal, the mineral and the plant kingdom in a specific way. It's the Jules Steiner found marriages of these kingdoms and we create new substances that doesn't exist on earth. These remedies are meant to support the natural forces to work in a better way. And uh, what we are trying to do is to enhance the, the vitality of the earth working in this way. And um, yeah, it's very important to say that organic permaculture systems, natural agriculture, regenerative agriculture, and all the concepts of agricultural movements that are moving in the direction of life we all work together. Sure. And in, in biodynamics, we implement a spiritual foundation of agriculture. And we bring in some other considerations. But for example, a permaculture farm can implement biodynamic practices. And a biodynamic farm needs to implement permacultural designs, I will say. So I see the future of agriculture being a complete understanding of nature that needs to take in consideration very practical facts that the land, like the landscape and your topography, but also the specific spiritual foundations of what make us being human beings and take our task on earth really deep. This for me makes a big, big difference. You know, like it's not that I'm just an animal on earth, it's that we have a task here and uh, we take that task on by doing agriculture. Is the deepest spiritual task for me because we can shape the earth for good or for bad. And agriculture sometimes is blamed to be the guilty guy of the picture. So what if the guilty guy of the picture takes its responsibility to rebuild what has been destroyed? And actually we're feeding the world and we, you can feed the world with deception and you can feed the world with materialistic thinking. You can also feed the world with hope and with spiritual love. So farmers have the task to feed the world with love, I would say. And that's all about biodynamics. All right. So you've taken this passion for biodynamic farming, for considering the spiritual aspects of growing food, and you have become quite a voice for this, not just in Costa Rica, but you've been traveling throughout Latin America, all up into Mexico, and even into Europe as a speaker. And when you get called to be a speaker in Switzerland for biodynamics, what kind of things are you talking about? The very practical experience in my country, you know, like the important thing here is that biodynamics is, uh, is an international movement. And more and more, this movement is opening to listen to what is the experience of people doing this kind of practice in other parts of the world, apart from Central Europe and the Western world. And um, yeah, I don't know, you know, I will say it's quite, I was quite a lucky guy to be the only one from a tropical country, not being the European who came to Costa Rica to do biodynamics, but actually a Costa Rican doing biodynamics. So, people put attention to what I was doing, I, I don't know. 
but um i speak about what i do yeah you know like um actually you know now i have my company of biodynamic advisory and the suggestions i give to my farms are based on my own experience and when i go to these conferences to speak what i do is that i share my experience and i don't know if it's good or it's bad this is what what i did you know we sprayed this quartz preparation and we did this green manuring on the soil to grow coffee in a different way and we treated the coffee rust with attention on the clay and the humus and the cosmos during a certain period of times and we reduced the disease in a certain way and that's what happened you know i just share what happened and um we have positive experiences in coffee i work a lot in coffee most of my clients are coffee farmers who wants to reach the next level of coffee quality you know the wine industry has a very big experience on biodynamics and now the best wines in the world are biodynamics and coffee is kind of following the wine industry experience so most of a lot of my clients are coffee farmers who wants to reach this level so basically we start finding ways to make it work and uh, people is curious to hear what is happening here how do you deal with the preparations because we use specific plants you know and the preparations are made with a specific plants and animals so then we have to find solutions to this so then it becomes something interesting but i think the world needs motivated people and i i have motivation i love what i do and i believe we can change the world you know when i studied at earth university every day in the morning they said to me you're an agent of change you're going to change the world and after four years it was like yeah yeah stop saying that forget about it. you know like everyone can do it then you go out to the world and you realize that really everyone can do it why not to do it let's do it yeah you know and and i try to change the world around myself the way i work the way we work because i work with big team of people the way we exchange money the way we exchange business the way we do business i try to do it in a way that we change the relationship look people in the eyes with a true sense of love for what i do yeah and you and your team are working on some pretty large scale projects yeah you're talking about coffee and wine these aren't small projects these are large scale projects that you've been advising on yeah yeah i've had the chance and the opportunity to do so you know big avocado mango and coffee farms in mexico up to 1000 hectares and um the scale gives you a different experience but small scales pretty big too and um there are particular things you have to think of when you change the scale when you go from certain scale to other one but um you know i have it very clear like um you know still people talks that organic cannot feed the world and that kind of things but i can say from my own experience that you can do organic farming biodynamic farming a very simple system based on soil biology can be tremendously effective on large scale systems yeah and this isn't just theoretical i mean i i saw on a small scale you took me for a walk today you showed me plants growing in your garden that for me i would imagine have been there for 6 or 8 months and you're saying they've been there for 3 months there's no doubt i mean there's the same plants that i'm growing at the same altitude on my farm and i'm not getting nearly the kind of 
increase in size and production that you are here. So on a small scale, I can see that. I can always imagine on a large scale that it'd be effective, but you've been working on these large scale projects and you're continuing to advise projects here in, in Costa Rica, both on small and large scale. And when you're advising, you go so far as doing full implementation. So you're going into farms and you're helping them get organic certified and biodynamic certified. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I work from the question perspective, I call it. Question perspective. If you ask me a question, you're opening a spiritual window so I can work. If you don't ask, I cannot give you an answer. If you don't ask me to try, I cannot make a try. You know, in the spiritual foundations, you need somebody to open a gate for you so then you can do the work. I'm not putting myself into the knowledgeable guy. I'm just saying everyone in the world, if you have something you know, something is doing wrong, wait for that person to ask you how to do it better. Then that person is really giving you a space to do the work. And it's not that you have the answer, but you only have the space to try. And um, it's quite simple, you know, green manuring, quality composting, liquid fertilizer, landscape shaping, biodynamic preparations. That's all it takes to make a farm productive. And I remember hearing this before and I wasn't achieving it. I was using the entire organic intensive systems with 10 different recipes for fertilizing, for increasing microbes and for controlling pests and all these things. And you really don't never get a result. You know, you're all the time fighting. But I mean, 80% of my time I'm sitting on a desk talking to farmers and 20% of my time on we are out on the farm. Education is crucial. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying people to do this way. I mean, I, I spend a lot of time on a computer working. This pandemic has shown us that we can do a lot more work than we used to do. I used to travel a lot. I spent half of my time in an airplane, mm. you know, questioning myself about carbon emissions and so on. Now I can talk to five different projects in five different countries in the same day while I'm also working on my farm. So we can be way more productive. We don't need to do a lot of things we used to do. We don't need these huge buildings rented. We can work in our houses. This coronavirus thing, it's wonderful if we really know how to use it for benefit. You know, I want to go to the farms. I mean, I mean I'm really, you know, like really want to go and see the results. But, but something really good is that when I'm less time on other people's farms, they have to do things that I used to do for them. So then they empower more on the farm. That's a good thing to do. But also, I don't know, it's, man, it's really simple. You just have to let nature do the work, but just put your hands in there when it's really needed. It's when you're raising a kid. You don't need to be holding your kid's hand all the time. You just need to be there when the kid is falling to hold the kid right before it falls. Nature works in a similar way. You don't need to turn your compost every day. Neither you have to forget about your compost. You have to turn your compost when you see is the right time to do so. This is a key thing. I mean, we can give a, a key point to farmers. You know, like farmers spend a lot of money turning compost. And other farmers spend a lot of money solving problems from rotten compost spread on the fields. But if you just only dedicate enough time to put attention on your compost and turn it when it's really needed to do so, not too late, not too soon. 
the right time, things change. And that's where proper planning and sharing wisdom cultivated from practice really comes in rather yeah. than, and really that's what this podcast is all about. There's so many of us landowners that own land and we have ideas, we get some information and we just go at it and we experiment. And there's tons of value in experimenting. And at the same time, you can save yourself a whole bunch of years by hiring someone like yourself to come in and just lay it down in a systematic way for uh, how to produce results with yeah. as little work as necessary, but with specifically the work that is necessary. Yeah. Also, you know, I let people experiment. You know, sometimes I do something that I called, correct me, it's not the right way to say it in English, but it's social tranquility. Yeah. You know, I also work with some conventional farmers that wants to implement something that I call soil health agronomy approach. So they're still using, for example, conventional fertilizers. And it's interesting because the conventional fertilizers bring comfort to the farmer because they have the doubt if the soil is going to feed the plant. So they feed it with the fertilizer. So when I tell them to use the compost, they are afraid that the compost is not going to give enough minerals to the plant. But when I tell them, yeah, you know, mix the compost with your thing, they get into a, oh, they get this just, they release so much pressure from themselves. So the fertilizer, yeah, does some work and feed the plant, so on, but gives more comfort to the farmer to don't think he's doing a bad thing. So actually the farm works better. And then every year we can reduce the fertilizer and maybe we had the chance to do it since the beginning, since the first year. But just because the fertilizer is there, the farmer is allowing the organic system to work. Please, I'm not telling people to spray fertilizer. They're not needed. What I'm saying is that sometimes, as an advisor, you have to understand that people need to feel hurt and just tell them, okay, do it. You know, like I remember, I uh, have some histories like this. Like I remember the, the farmer said, Stefan, don't, don't you think it will be good to uh, cut the tree 35 centimeters on the edge of the, the branch? Yeah, yeah, I cut it 35 centimeters. 35 of 32. 32. Okay, 32 centimeters, man. You got makes no difference. They just need to have some kind of confidence in what they're doing. Sometimes my work is come to the farm and confirm to the farmer they're doing the right work. And I just have to be there and say two, three words in the right time, the right moment, turn the compass right now. Okay, they turn the compass and it will work. And feel them feel they're doing the right way. You know, it's this social understanding of farming, that's what is needed. You know, the farmer, the agricultural engineer comes to the farm telling me how to do things. The agricultural engineers have destroyed the land and the farmers trying to follow the engineers have forgotten their wisdom. One of the greater things of biodynamics is that we try to bring together the farmer wisdom with the actual scientific knowledge. But scientific knowledge cannot do the work by itself. It requires a social comprehensive understanding of the farmer. So sometimes my work is just to be there and finger upwards so the farmer feels good. I get it. And yeah. sometimes I just have to go to the farm to say to the farmer, I was mistaken. You have the right decision. It's very simple, I will say. Sometimes, you know, like 
I mean, I, I have experience. I, I can tell you, I mean, if, if you have a nursery of coffee trees and all the roots are twisted, that's not going to work. It's simply not going to work. And if you're a farmer with 10,000 plants in your nursery with that condition, I can tell you very firmly, you're going to lose a lot of money if you do that. You better lose your nursery than lose three years of work to grow those plants. So sometimes you need to give very clear scientific knowledge. It comes from practice experience. And sometimes you have experiences on the fields where you have to let the farmer experience and do it and you just accompany them and support them. And it becomes a brotherhood. Yeah. Some of the people that you're consulting are looking to take products to market. So what advice would you give to a relatively small scale farmer? Let's say myself, I've got eight and a half hectares, which is about 21 acres. We are, I'd say, you could say half of that is just reforesting, regeneration of forests. We've got a good portion of it that's fruit forest already. We've got some production zones but we still have a lot of room for improvement. And if we decided to take some crop to market, we have the space for that. When you go in to consult with a farm that has an idea that they want to create a cash crop, right? What are some of the first things that you look for when advising them what crop they should focus on? And what are some of the directions that you point people in for finding a market to sell to? Hmm. I mean, I work both for farmers and for buyers, you know, like in both directions. Sometimes the farmer trying to find a market, sometimes the buyer trying to find a farmer. And um, I can tell you that you should not try to invent warm water. So out there in the market, there is already a demand there's already people looking for something. So, uh, I mean, if you're in a lowland, don't try to grow coffee. If you're in a highland, don't try to grow pineapple. You know, you need to know where you are, first of all. You know, wh what is your strength? What could be a crop that you have the climate, the topography and knowledge to grow? That's important. But really, you need to know the market. This is the biggest gap on the farmers. It's what is people looking for? One of the things I do is that every year I go to Germany to the Biofach, it's, it's an international organic fair where the entire organic movement gathers there to sell, buy, and exchange products. So we kind of know what is the demand of, I mean, what is people looking for? So I can tell you that in your condition, like medium, medium altitude, warm weather, tropical climate, you need to focus on crops that has high value and small volumes, such as ginger, vanilla, pepper, or, or processed foods. But you cannot start growing things without a market. You need to really find this connection. It's really, really key point. And when you're doing cash crop or you're doing commercial marketing or commercial farming, you need to have not a romantic perspective of agriculture, but a very practical, pragmatic one. The simplest, the best. You know, don't get this super complex agricultural system, super high developed to grow ginger. You know, you just need 
a simple plot where you do the basic practices to grow efficiently organic ginger and then you process it or you take it to a market. One of the things that I do is that uh, I evaluate the farm perspective for the farm. I do a profile of the farm to understand how is the economic situation of the farm and how a cash crop in certain amount of hectares or, or area can really provide an economic solution for the farm but also trying to look for other economic solutions that comes with the context of the farm. Is it located in a touristic place? Is it located in a good educational space? Is it located in a place where you can get other kind of incomes to make the farm be self-sufficient economically? Then is the farm capable to produce enough biomass to self-sustain a farming system or not? And if it does, how to use it. If it doesn't have it, then how to create it. But then I have this connection with markets myself. Then I I work a lot of coffee, as I said. And uh, so then I have connections with the coffee market and the specialty coffee market. And I know what the market of coffee is looking for. So then if you're a coffee farmer, I can take a sample, cup your coffee and tell you what you can expect for to do a conversion or not. And in terms of uh, medium land, you know, I have a collection of markets that I can search for and trying to find by evaluating the farm and evaluating the market, trying to find a match and say, OK, this could be a good option for you. And then the farmer needs to have enough skills. You know, people have asked me many times what is needed to be a good biodynamic farmer. Let's say what is needed to be a good ginger biodynamic farmer. So first you need to be a good ginger farmer. Then you need to be a good organic ginger farmer. Then you can do the next step. So sometimes there is people with money, with land, with a lot of enthusiasm, but they haven't really feel how to be a farmer is. How does it look like? How does it feel like? So it's better, it's good to be a farmer for a while before doing the big step. So I try to find all these things together, put them into an evaluation and find a way to assess the farm. When we come from in the other direction, when we come from the market to the farmer, it's quite easier because actually you have the market in your hand and you say to the farmer, here, this guy wants ginger. You want to grow ginger, you know? And I'm saying ginger, it could be pineapple, it could be medicinal plants. We, we, we develop projects for coffee importers, for pineapple juice importers, for ginger importers, for medicinal plants processors. So we come to a farm actually already with a crop in mind to propose the farmer to grow this crop. So this is a more direct solution for the farmer. Yeah, sounds like an approach I'm pretty interested in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we can talk about it. All right, good news. <laughs> now, besides doing the advisory, you've got some... Uh, you mentioned when you were talking about that, about biomass. And you were showing me around your place here and you're using biomass to grow soil, but in a way that's a little different than we've practiced or I've seen other places practice where you're building biomass and cutting it and throwing it in a pile somewhere to make compost, which is, is effective for sure. But you're growing your biomass precisely where you want to plant something in the future and you're using macuna which is a bean yeah and 
you're growing it over your pasture, over the grass, as a method to kill off the grass while building the fertility of the soil. And yeah, tell us a little bit more about this practice because it has various benefits as a yeah, practice. It's the most effective way to regenerate the soil. And it's very interesting because it's really both is well known in one side and the other side is non-practiced. The foundation of this also comes from biodynamics and it's something that I call the plant dynamic self-fertility. So the plant brings all the energy from the universe. Actually, is the soil brings all the energy from the universe and reflected back to the plant. At the same time, the plant do the photosynthesis and so on and captures moisture and nutrients and things. But the atmosphere provides all the mineral needed to enhance the fertility of a plant. Nevertheless, you require to have the same condition on the soil. You need to have on the soil an interaction, its coil. I mean, you need a biological mineral chain. You need the mineral flow of elements to go together with a mineral, a biological flow. So you actually require to grow healthy plants. You require a high, high level of biology in the soil. And I'm not talking about using an inoculant to have biology in the soil. I'm talking about creating a specific condition for the, the soil create its own fertility. So this concept is called green manure. We uh, grow plants. It's a mixture of legumes and, and grasses and wild plants that grow fast and aggressive and without much attention that while they are into the vegetative growth, they have this self-fertility process. They're actually feeding sugars into the soil. This feeds microbes that has an interaction with the roots. And these microbes, you have mycorrhizae and you have uh, specific fungi that they fix and solubilize. They fix some nutrients like nitrogen and solubilize certain nutrients like phosphorus. But it's a very big range of nutrients that goes around this microbe interaction with plants. So then the plants liberate these sugars and uh, carbohydrates and, and, um, and also micro elements. And then the, these fungi and bacteria, they feed themselves with this and they create exudates that feed the roots back. So this is a self-fertility process between microbes and plants. And in this process, of course, you have big roots growing and you have microbes growing and you have the soil moving around. You have layers of plants protecting moisture in the soil. So you have other insects coming and other microbes coming and then becomes an ecosystem. After one year of keeping the soil under this condition, what actually you're actually doing is improving the life-giving process of the soil. So we let the plants grow until they get to blooming. Then we chop them down because it's when they, they are growing a store of nutrients for producing their fruit or their seeds. So before they go into seed, we cut them down to the ground. So all this biomass gets integrated into the ground. We spray sometimes uh, lactic bacteria or special 
homeopathic preparations that enhance this process in the soil. But the result is very practical. You know, I work with many organic farms and we all, we, it's very common to have uh, deficiencies on the soils, so-called deficiencies. So people say, okay, Stefan, how do we do an uh, organic uh, source for phosphorus, for potassium, for magnesium? And yes, there are organic sources that you can fit to the soil. But if you do green manure one or, or ideally two years before planting, the interesting thing is that when you start doing your crop, you never met these kind of problems. So soil biology solves the nutrition problems in the future. And um, I'm using this technique here on our farm, but I am implementing this technique in, in big extension farms, like now in the, these biodynamic pineapple projects, we're doing several hectares of green manuring before the pineapple and after the pineapple. Crop rotation comes together with this model, but we're also developing perennial systems where I'm implementing a, a modern concept of green manuring because normally green manuring comes from template climates. So you have like this uh, agricultural land for corn and wheat and things like this. And then after you plant these crops, then you go for green manuring and then you, you sow them into the ground. But in the tropics, we have a lot of perennial crops. So I'm mixing this... Um, green manure concept together with agroforestry and syntropic agriculture and I call it I call this agroforestry green manure models so what I do is that I grow bushes and trees and annual plants in a specific design in between the perennial crops to continuously be feeding minerals and biology to the soil I can give you examples of results of uh, for example in Honduras we have a biodynamic coffee project that we only spread compost on the fields and some liquid fertilizers, biodynamic preparations, and very good green manure agroforestry systems. And they have very surprising permanent productivity of the farm. And in Mexico, we have uh, 150 hectares of biodynamic coffee. It's not a small land, it's a big land. In Guatemala, it's 300 hectares of biodynamic coffee under the same model. And it's providing results of a permanent soil fertility. So I can tell you that it works and it's cheaper. If we want to talk about farm economy, making and spreading compost, man, that's expensive. Hmm. You need to do it. You cannot go away without compost. You need to do compost. But my recommendation is do very high quality, small amounts of compost and very big amounts of cheap biomass grown on the fields. Mm. That's, I mean... We want to make business, so try to make compost being efficient. So grow biomass on your fields. And actually, there's a misunderstanding on composting sometimes because many people talk about using compost to increase the organic matter on the soil. This is actually a misunderstanding because if you do mathematics, you know, in one hectare of soil, you have like 2.5 million kilogram of soil something like this and if you want to increase one or two percent of organic matter you need 100 tons of compost per hectare that is you cannot do that i mean you can spread more than five tons of compost per hectare most of the times so the only way you can actually increase the organic matter on the soil i'm talking about mathematic biomass the only way to do it is grow biomass on the same soil 
right and cut it right there and save yourself tons and tons of work that's the only way you can do it it's just completely skipping the step i mean compost is essentially biomass broken down into soil yeah and to do that we often take biomass from one area move it to another area pile it up turn it turn it turn it and return it, it to the same and area. return it to that area yeah. and your approach is just grow it right there let it grow to its fullness when it's at its full vitality cut it down let its roots rot into the soil and give fertility that way and let all the biomass just mulch right on top keeping the weeds down and over time continuing to build soil while you're growing the next crop. Yeah, and then just spread small amounts of very high quality compost, you know, colloidal compost we're talking about. We're talking about the compost is the carrier of humus substance into the soil. And that will increase a lot of things on the soil, but actually we found that as effective as a spreading compost is a spreading compost teas. So instead of a spreading 10 tons of compost, we can spread 100 kilos of compost in one hectare with a compost tea uh, methodology over a green manure crop, and you can get even better results on spreading compost. Please don't misunderstood. Use compost, but use high-quality compost. And where is your organic matter for compost coming from? From the byproduct of processing. So, for example, when you're processing coffee, you already have in one place a lot of organic matter that is concentrated in one place, okay? There you make compost. But don't go cut material, carry it to one place, make compost and return it back. Uh -huh. This makes no sense. Because you've got a couple of things in compost. You have your nutrients, but then you also have this hummus, this high surface yeah. area medium that the plants love to grow in and that also holds nutrients over a length of time. But instead of building a hummus-rich compost, you're making a nutrient-rich tea and putting it on the hummus material that you're leaving where it was growing. Yeah, actually, I call this microbial protein nutrition. So instead of putting a natural source, you know, people like to talk about nitrogen. So how to put nitrogen to your soil. So they bring a natural source of nitrogen, amino acids of blood meal or any source of nitrogen. And they, they calculate and they spread nitrogen. In biodynamics, by certification, by the standards, you cannot use more than 150 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare. A conventional system can use over 500, depending on the crop, but in coffee it happens. And if, if you go to tropical fruits, it goes even higher. What we do is that we grow biomass, microbial biomass. And microorganisms is an organism. It has microelements, it has amino acids, it has protein, that's nitrogen. So what is easier than growing microorganisms, you only need sugar and oxygen and they breathe nitrogen from the air and transform it into their own bodies. And then when you spread microorganisms on the ground, you're actually spreading nitrogen and nutrients in the form of microbial biomass. And this microbial biomass reproduces itself and goes by tons. 
You don't need to spread nitrogen. You just need to spread conditions for nitrogen. That's the basic concept of compost tea. You take humified compost where you have a lot of these microbes that slept in. You put some sugar, some oxygen. They reproduce on the water. Then you spread them on the soil. And the, basically what you have is starving microbes. And you throw them on the, on the soil. And they start eating all the sleeping microbes on the soil. And they start pooping and peeing nitrogen and micro and micro elements. And then you have a boost on your plants. What is the cost of making compost tea? Man, tremendously cheap. Tremendously cheap. But when you use compost, you actually want to carry some information because actually it's not nutrients, but actually microorganisms and humification information that you bring into the soil. Because, you know, composting is a series of processes and you have some process where you need bacteria that are breaking down bacteria, but you have building up bacteria and building up fungi. And these guys are the ones we need on the soil. So all this biomass we're growing and chopping on the ground will transform in humus. So we put compost on, on the plants. For example, in coffee, we use two to three kilograms of compost per plant per year. And that means between three to five tons of compost per hectare per year. A liquid compost? No, no, I'm talking about normal, normal, normal compost. Yeah, it's... But in your coffee farms, and now this is kind of bridging over into another topic I'm really excited to approach with you, the, the biogas, which um, you know, on one side is essentially breaking down material to create methane, the bacteria that break down the compost or the manure is creating methane, which most people think about it like, okay, yeah, you can cook with the gas that's being released from the breakdown of these manures or kitchen scraps. But there's way more to this system that you've developed and that you're implementing here in the country than just producing the gas. You're the system has three different yields and one of them is a compost tea. Yeah. That you are a compost. You can make a tea out of to put over your fields. Give our listeners a little bit of an overview of the system that you're designing and the multiple benefits that it produces. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a key point because we, I mean, we, we needed to find a way that, that you can get the most from what you have. So, the biomass or the manures, for example, are here. I mean, we just touch on the surface that we need an integrated farm where you have actual animals on the farm. But when you have the animals on the farm, then you have the manures. These manures, you can separate some of the solids from the liquids. So these solids you can directly use for composting or worm, uh, worm farms. But the liquids have the potential to go into these biodigesters, is these uh, bioreactors units where anaerobic fermentation happens. And between other processes of breaking down, you have carbohydrates, acetogenesis, and then acidogenesis and things like this. And then it goes to methanogenesis, where actually bacteria that produce methane, they feed themselves with this biomass. And while they're doing this, all this process of fragmentation, you're actually mineralizing the organic matter. So you're creating a fertilizer. 
And at the same time, you're creating a fuel because biogas is fuel. It has energy on it. So from the same poop of one cow, you get compost, liquid fertilizer, and you get energy, biogas. You only need a technology that can allow you to use all of those. So what we do is we install these biodigesters where we separate the solids. Solids go for composting. Liquids go into the digester. We ferment it. We capture the methane in these uh, PVC uh, membrane bags. And this goes directly to be used either in a normal stove. We can heat water. You can, as I showed you today, the rice cooker and the, and the room heater. You can generate electricity. You can do a bunch of things with it. You can run two-stroke engines with it. And uh, so you have energy to be used on the farm, you know, of the grid energy. And then you have the liquid fertilizer that the smallest biodigester produces huge amounts of this fertilizer. I mean, just, just to, be, to be clear on this, the smallest unit we install is a six cubic meter biodigester. It produces enough fertilizer to feed a farm over 30 hectares every day. That's huge. It's huge. Every day. So every I mean, every day you have fertilizer. Every day it's constantly producing. Constantly fertilizer. producing. So you have like this this one I have at home produces two hundred and fifty liters of fertilizer every day. That means you can spray this in it could be around let's say three thousand liters of spray water because you dilute it five to ten percent. So let's say 3,000, and you're using 300 liters per hectare. So this biodigester I have here in my house, six cubic meter, can fertilize 10 hectares every day. Wow. And if you do it per month, so let's say you are doing one plot every day, it means that at month you have, what, uh, 900. The numbers are crazy about how much you can fertilize with this. And this is, this is a resource that most humans on the planet are flushing into septic tanks. Yes. Which is producing what effect? Poisoning our groundwater. Yes, exactly. And instead you're running it through an intelligent, low-tech mechanism of creating a culture of bacterias that breaks it down in a way that makes it inert and non-toxic, but also beneficial. Yes, and also you can use more smaller systems like the one we'll see tomorrow is one cubic meter home biogas system where you can feed only your food scraps and you can get uh, up to 20 liters of fertilizer per day. Again, make the numbers 20 liters. It means plus 10, you can spray 200 liters of fertilizer. It means it will give you enough to fertilize one hectare per day. And that's just food scraps. Food scraps. Yeah. Other systems most commonly are using black water and even gray water. Yeah, in the house you can use gray water and black water. I don't recommend to use black water to grow food, you know, like to use that fertilizer for food. So when we do this on a farm, normally we do two digesters. One use the black water and that goes infiltrated into a garden system or something like this. But in animal farms or integrated farms, we produce this uh, liquid fertilizer and fits hundreds of hectares, really hundreds. 
So animal manure and kitchen scraps, you put that into your food production system. Yeah. But the black water and gray water from the human use in the house, you're putting that out in pastures or in ornamental areas ornamental or fruit trees or things like this where fruit where trees fruit you, trees you, you can use, do yeah, maybe. bananas things yeah like but, that. but i you know like um i mean again if you have a homestead like a farm homestead like you find creative ways to integrate it if we're talking about commercial agriculture i will say the farm needs to have its own animals to be self-sufficient on manure then you will have manure to feed your biogas system then you're going to have a very high quality fertilizer to feed your land you know, we have uh, economical analysis on these models, and actually uh, next month uh, I'm going to be visiting some of the farmers where we have uh, units installed. I have a community up in Upala, northern Costa Rica, where we have uh, seven biodigesters in a community integrated with 15 organic farms. So the guys who have the biodigesters, they share the liquid fertilizer with organic farmers, and then the organic farmers have a self-sufficient systems. And these guys save a lot of money with these models and the biodigester it's a unit that can be self-paid by the farmer by the the savings it produced on the farm like the these farms we have examples where they they used to have mineral fertilizer practices and they have low productivity on their pastures and by the implementation of the biodigesters they were able to eliminate the expense of using chemical fertilizers not to talk about a more ecological agriculture and they doubled the productivity of their cattle by having a free high level of fertilizer and they have so much fertilizer they cannot even use then they, you can really increase the productivity if we use this technology in a high, you know, like massively, we could solve the need of fertilizers in the world. It's crazy. And also the content of phosphorus and nitrogen in this fertilizer is so high that you can even install industrial extraction of these minerals and create an organic uh, grounded fertilizer for this. And, you know, phosphorus is a big question on agriculture. Most of our phosphorus sources for agriculture from non-renewable sources. So we need to find another sources, and this could be one of them for the future. Wow, that's exciting. Large scale, large scale impact. I love it. Well, Esteban, I think we've come to the end of our time here for this interview. We're going to pick it up again in the morning. But right now, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners where they can find you online if they have questions or might even want to hire you to come in for consulting or a biogas system or something like this. How do they find you? Well, I have my website, sembrandoflores.com. I don't know if there's going to be any link on the, on the podcast. I will definitely include a link, yeah. And you can also follow that link on Instagram and Facebook. That's the easiest way to, to get to it. And in both of them, you can find my WhatsApp link to start getting a, a chat to find the best solution to the farm. We have a team of advisors that can support the farms in the different topics. And uh, also we have uh, solutions for, for buyers for farmers, but also for organizations and uh, 
both governmental and non-governmental organizations who wants to create a big regional or, or big range impact on the region or the countries. We are already working with very good projects in El Salvador and Panama at national levels and in the regional levels in from Panama to Mexico in different projects, also including new ways to see economy as a way to impact the way we're living, the way we're doing things. And I think it's a big opportunity. This is the time we do it. Either we do it now or maybe we don't have another option to do it. Yeah, I love that you're also just not trying to do this alone. You have a whole team of professionals that you're working with on everything that you're doing. Yeah, that's the way. Yeah, I mean, my thesis is no one has all the solutions. So sometimes I got questions I might have an answer to, but there's somebody dedicating their life to that kind of question. So what I do is I created this collaborative space for advisors. So when someone hires me or hire one of, of uh, my team, it has access to a cluster of advisors who can support, find a better solution in each problems. Great. Well, it sounds like a lot of the motivation behind this podcast too. So thanks so much for sharing your insights and, uh, yeah. Well, I look forward Thanks for to coming s- home to do this. <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure to reunite yeah, with great. you, my friend. Great. All right. <laughs> wow. I hope you had your notebooks out for that one. If not, go back and do it again. Esteban was more than generous in sharing his wisdom with us. Thanks again, my friend. I've already started putting more ginger, vanilla, and pepper in the ground since my visit with you. I really liked what Esteban said about keeping our designs simple and effective, being cautious of complexity and adherence to rigid ideals that often start a project. Of course, his guidance on using Makuna to regenerate soil is also too easy not to try. I ordered a bag of seeds this week, actually. If you'd like to hire Esteban and his team of consultants to your own project, be sure to check the show notes for his contact info. And to find other products and services that might make your life better, visit the resources page on our website to see if anything there sparks your interest. Finally, be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Drop a rating and review to let others know what you think of the show. That's all for now. And remember, your pool's recyclable. Don't let it go to waste.